0: I hope you'll forgive me, but I'm already a little tired of it. I don't know if you aren't. I went to Chick-fil-A to pick up a quick bite to eat and discovered that they were not serving in the dining room and the line went out and around. It's normally a long line. But at 4 o'clock, you figure I can at least sort of... There was this sweet little girl. I was on the wrong side of the building, and nobody was in that slot. And she said, here, just come on in here, and I'll take your order. I was there five minutes and out. (laughs) uh, A Cadillac Escalade came in around the corner behind me, and I thought, oh, they hate me bad. But (laughs) it wasn't my fault. I'm fairly certain of it. Fear. Fear. Fear is something that the devil has used for as long as there has been temptation. And it's amazing how often the devil will try to utilize fear to try and make us feel isolated. And particularly to make us, to tempt us into isolating ourselves from others and pushing people away to actively be about that process. For as long as Christianity has existed, starting with Jesus, there was always this sense that Christians weren't going to let that fear overcome them. And be sure you understand that I'm fully aware that what Jesus was doing when he touched the leper and touched the blind man and touched uh, the woman who was having trouble with an issue of blood when jesus did that he was saying spiritually you can't infect me I'm going to bless you but what's interesting is is the people who followed in his footsteps for generations to come lived out the command that uh, the the, the instruction that Paul gave first Timothy if someone is sick the elders should go and what should the elders do Anoint their head with oil, anoint them with oil, maybe they're not their head, but, and lay their hands on them. And for 2,000 years, as the various plagues and infections have affected the world, the Christians have been the one who have said, if you're ill, you're not going to be alone. Now, I want to be sure and say, that's very different than being someone who's ill and choosing to then go out into public and infect other people. Understand? That's not what we're talking about. In fact, there are times that political entities will say, you need to isolate that group. And if you don't isolate them, we're going to punish you the way that we punish them. And thank God that there were Christians in the middle of World War II in Germany and in France and in Holland and in Italy that said to their Jewish neighbors, we'll hide you. And some of them paid the ultimate price of their life. But it was because they saw that the fear that the state at that time, but make no mistakes... The tool of fear is not just the states. The tool of fear is Satan's. They said, that's not going to win the day. God's going to win the day. We're not going to let them feel alone. We're not going to let them feel abandoned. We see God calling us to something else. I want to ask you to do me a favor over this next week and, and... and maybe beyond that now, uh, Frank, um, thank you for being so prepared to word this morning 's prayer and and leading us in that, and particularly calling us as as is always true it 's kind of like when we when we celebrate thanksgiving, we say please don 't just be thankful one little season of the year don 't just pray one day of the year i 'm calling you to something that that because you do it now, it may wind up turning into a, a habit. I want you to Set an alarm for three times a day. I think most of you have phones that will do that. If you don't, figure out how it is that you remind yourself of things. I'd like every day for you to have an alarm go off three different times. Let's say once in the morning, once in the early afternoon, and once in the evening. It doesn't have to be a specific time. But this is what I want you to do. I didn't bring the caring and sharing up with me but in the caring and sharing we have a list of people that we call our vulnerable members those who are most likely to wind up being isolated some of them are isolated because their health doesn't allow them to leave the home and things like that three times a day morning early afternoon evening I want you to pick up your phone and I want you to call one of the people on that list by the way I give you that list because it gives you a place to start, but it's not a place to end. Does that make sense? It may be that one of the three times out of the day you decide, I have a neighbor that I want to be sure and check on. By the way, you want to talk about a great opportunity to say to your neighbors, "Uh, I realize we don't need to necessarily share germs actively, but I sure hope I have your phone number. If you don't have your neighbor's phone numbers, this is that opportunity to say there's a reason because I don't want you to feel isolated, and alone. If somebody doesn't pick up the phone, doesn't answer, particularly if you do it two days in a row, the same person they don't answer, I'm going to ask you to do something extraordinarily difficult. Are you ready? This, I mean, only really committed disciples of Christ would do this, so I'm asking you a lot. If they don't pick up the phone two days in a row, I want you to get a, it's called a piece of paper, And there's this other thing called a pen. A pencil will also work. It Typically, pencils work better if you sharpen them. I want you to write a note. And there's this thing called an envelope and a stamp. And I want you to put the note in the envelope. And and sometimes you'll have to actually lick it to seal it up. And then you put the stamp on the outside. And then you put the person's address on the envelope. And I want you to send them a note. And if they're in like Jackson it probably should get there in a couple of days no promises USPS hadn't has to send everything to Houston before it comes back here again at least that's the way i understand it but why because we're not going to let the efforts and and again forgive me if you don't see disease in the world as something that satan uses to to harm and cause fear But we don't want that fear to make people feel isolated. And we're going to be extra diligent about that. High school kids are always kind of interacting online. I'm asking you to help us become better at engaging without having to be face-to-face. Maybe, just maybe, you need to knock on a door. Please be very careful about that. Because, again, it is contagious. And to be careless is not to be helpful. I pray that you'll uh, step into that challenge. And for a week, make what will work out to be 21 extra text messages, 21 extra phone calls. Or maybe you're just one of those extraordinary people that's going to write 21 notes to people. Please let us know. How that goes. Because I think you'll be a blessing to others. But you know what wouldn't surprise me? Guess who will be most blessed? That's the way Jesus and the Spirit have always worked. It is when we give that we discover that we receive the most. Is anybody tired of human frailty? I mentioned this in the introduction. I am extremely tired of human frailty. I was actually younger than you guys were when I think it kind of hit home for me. My family was visiting India. We had been extremely careful. Uh, my sister had gotten sick, and, and I actually prayed that if God thought I would be strong enough to help to carry it better than she would, that He'd, he'd get her well and make me sick. There have been very few things in my life that the power of prayer has acted more quickly because within 24 hours, I had amoebic dysentery. She didn't immediately recover, but she recovered much quicker than I did. Um, I, we can trace it back to one sip on a, on a Coke bottle uh, that was enough to transfer that to me. I was 12 years old, and I realized that my body was not my own. It was broken broken and it could be broken very easily, and when it was broken, there was very little I could do to make it better. We were back in the United States eight weeks later, and I still couldn't eat anything that I wanted to eat, just anything that I wanted to eat, because it had that kind of lingering effect. But make no mistakes, that sense of human frailty just kind of grows, doesn't it? Um, back when I used to could work all day long in the yard and not really have much trouble. Those days are long since past. Some of you have been hired by me because I can't work all day long and I need your help with certain kinds of things. And that's very anti-my personality. I can do it myself was something I was known for when I was five years old. I can do it myself. And I've grown up with that sense of that. But human frailty reaches into all of our lives. And so far I've only talked about physical frailty. But what we realize is as we live is that we are vulnerable to temptation and sin always. I am in a lifelong battle against sin. There are certain sins that just kind of keep coming up and I keep fighting them. And sometimes I feel like I'm making progress and sometimes there are things that I realize I'm not. I can remember the first time that I'd always heard about all the uh, the ways other people were racist and then it came home to me and I realized I too have that seed of that sin in my life. I'd always talked about all those rich people and how greedy they were and then I suddenly realized I didn't have to have that much money to be greedy. I can remember when Jesus brought it home very pointedly me that what I called love was mostly just serving myself and not really laying down my life. Is anyone tired of sin and human frailty? Let's now make that not a rhetorical question. Is anyone, are you tired of human frailty and sin? Me too. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we live in a broken world, not because you created it broken, but because of our rebellion, it has become broken. And we confess that although we want to point fingers at Adam or Eve or whatever we want to point at, we recognize that sin is a part of us just like it's a part of everybody else. And that brokenness permeates our world. That brokenness impacts disease. That brokenness is what death comes from. That brokenness is what makes people hate each other. Father, we want to be part of your healing. We want to be part of your recreation. We want to be part... Even before it's fully realized, we want to be part of your making all things new. We ask for your spirit to come and partner with us. We ask that our hearts will be softened and constantly turned in repentance towards you. Not blaming sin on others, but always seeing how we play a part. Father, as we open your word today, it is my prayer that we will catch a glimpse of of the living hope that Jesus is the first fruits of and that we're invited to anticipate in the life that is to come. May it not just be about wishful thinking about something in the future, but may it change the way we live and think today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we all say, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, but someone will ask, how? By the way, this is your question too. You may phrase it differently, but how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies, and when you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as He has determined. And to each kind of seed, He gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Human beings have one kind of flesh. Animals have another. Birds another and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. And the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind. And the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor. The moon another. The stars, another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown perishable, it will be raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body or a body prepared for. ...for the Spirit. We will be changed. Dishonor to honor or glory. And you need to understand that the translators here are working with words... ...that Paul selects carefully, but their meanings are expansive. And oftentimes when we try to use our translations... ...to narrow it down to some small thing that is changing... ...instead, Paul's language here is intended to say everything is going to change. You can anticipate a greater change than anything you can imagine. In fact, one author likes to say it this way, when when the biblical writers talk about the new creation, when the biblical writers talk about what God is going to do when he finally brings all things together, they are imaginations about the unimaginable. They are imaginations about the unimaginable. And so Paul delves into this long list of things. You know how bodies change. I will never forget. Um, My grandfather was a preacher. um, Most of the time, uh, a a, 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 uh, what do you call it when you work at one job and you preach on the side? A a self-supported preacher. Um, he started preaching during the Depression and and chickens weren't cutting it. So he decided to do something else and and preached on the side, but preached all his life. But I remember this lesson maybe more than any others. He was preaching out of exactly this text and he was a farmer and he handed each of us a kernel of corn. It was in June in East Texas. And that morning he had gone out and yanked up about a 7 or 8 foot tall stalk of corn and said, does that body look like this body? It had changed. Now yes, the ears of corn contained the little seed, but what came out of the seed was incredibly different. Incredibly powerful. It had gone from a weak state to a very powerful state. It didn't become imperishable and it didn't become immortal, but it changed. And we we don't We're not surprised by that. That's kind of normal part of what we understand life to be about. But Paul is saying, you're asking about the resurrection. And what you need to know is things are going to change. Things are going to be different. And while Jesus is the first fruits, and we talked about this last week, Jesus and his resurrection and the reality of, as Luke says it, his flesh and bone resurrection is the model on which we can base what we're looking forward to in eternity. Paul says, you got to know that who you are, how you are, is going to be changed. It is going to move from a natural status, and again, the last line of the scripture was, to a spiritual status. And you might say, Alan, it sounds to me like he's pointing towards disembodiment that we will be spiritual beings. But if you read in the context of 1 Corinthians, what you understand is, is that he is comparing the natural body that is full of sin with the spiritual body that is relieved of the sin problem. A body that is prepared not to live in a world that is surrounded by temptation and flaws and brokenness, but instead a body, and I don't know about you, but this is hard to imagine, a body that is prepared... To live in purity and in holiness in the presence of God. And just for me, now I know some of you, and, and, and I think you're, some of you are just, well, I think all of you are pretty wonderful people, but there are some of you that are extraordinarily special, and I think that you're pretty close already to what God intends for us to be in that world. And don't blush when I talk about you that way. But God is going to change us. God is going to make us new. We will put off the dishonor of the flesh and we will put on the honor or the glory of what Paul will say is the body prepared for the spirit. We will put off the weakness that we have and we will come in power... In another book, Paul will say the power that's going to be at work in us is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. It will put off the perishable nature. And everything in our world has that perishable nature, doesn't it? I mean, we, we even talk about the science of someday our son eventually per- perishing. Everything we know in this world seems to have an a, uh, exp- expiration date. Maybe more than anything, our human bodies. That and, of course, the jug of milk that's been in the refrigerator just a little bit too long. It's not going to have that anymore. And the mortal will put on immortality. That which is always destined to die will be changed into something that will never see death. The hope of the glorious. I want to give you a few implications very quickly and then I'll move on. I hope it's okay today that having begun the sermon with a very direct and very practical way to be God's people in the world, that as I end the sermon today, I'm just going to talk about ways to think about things. So, very quickly, there will be no more frailty or brokenness. Now, that has huge implications, and I want to ask you to engage your imagination about the unimaginable. And every time this week that you, you are faced with the frailty and the brokenness of your, humans-ness, your human body and the world, I want you to think, wow, how is God going to change that? And maybe you won't get it right, but in the process of imagining it, we stretch our minds into what God wants to bring. Number two, there'll be no more tears and sadness. This has huge implications. And, and I don't have time to go into all the ways in which that impacts us. But every time you think about heaven and you think, that'll be wonderful, but... You know, Some of you have, have heard the descriptions of heaven that we're just going to have a, a song, long, long eternal song service and you say, I don't really like singing all that much. I can promise you that whatever heaven is going to be, and make no mistakes when it talks about the angels singing all the time around the throne, it's imaginations about the unimaginable. What worship will be 24-7 for God... I don't think we have any way to fully comprehend. But what I can promise you is there will be nothing disappointing about it to you. Is your favorite thing in worship to get up and and hug people and say it's so good to see you? Or is your favorite thing in worship to sit all by yourself and listen to the wonderful preaching that challenges your mind to expand sitting in your little spot? What I can promise you is whatever heaven's going to be, whatever the new creation is going to be, heaven on Earth, you're not going to be disappointed with it. There will be no more dying and death. Apparently, you didn't hear me. There'll be no more dying and death. I am scheduled to go for my colon uh, no, sorry to go for my CT scan five years after I completed chemotherapy for colon cancer. Last fall, I went to my appointment and the doctor said, you don't ever have to come and see me again. And I will tell you that I'm not prepared for that. But the other thing that I need to admit to you is that for five years, I've been going to see him once a year to get this CT scan. And every time you go, there's a little reminder in the back of your heart that says death could not be all that far away. and It makes you breathe a little heavier. And it makes you a little sad. Makes you not want to go, because if I don't know, then what? But that's not the right answer. No more, not just no more death, but no more dying. But finally, and this is the hardest one, it takes the most imagination to conceive of this. But the glorious body The body that's sown, mortal, and is birthed, immortal, that is sown, perishable, and is birthed, imperishable, will have no proclivity to temptation or sin. You know, the death and dying thing is something that I can grasp and I can say, wow! Won't that change the world? Because it is so far beyond my imagination what it would be like to live fully actualized, fully active, fully flesh and blood, excuse me, flesh and bone, and to not have sin be part of the picture. I want to ask you this week, And you may say to me, Alan, I don't really struggle with sin on a weekly basis, maybe a monthly basis. If that's you, then wait for the month. But if you're like me, and maybe even on a daily basis, maybe even on an hourly basis, you struggle with some sort of temptation to be a little lazy, to give a little less, to not love somebody, just for a split second, I want you to think. There'll be a day and that will never again be part of who we are. Let's end with Paul's words. Listen, I tell you a mystery. I like the way Paul uses mystery here. There's an end that's coming and it's, and it's sure and it's a promise, but its content is still mysterious. I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we we will all be changed. And now here's the really good news. Because of what Jesus did and because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of His blood, and because of the way He's opened a path to the power of the blood and the Holy Spirit through the waters of baptism, guess what? The change of eternity can be at least deposited in your life. That process can start today for everyone. Are you interested in starting the change?